0: If you'll turn in your Bibles to First Peter chapter one, we'll be in starting in verse thirteen this morning. Uh, we'll be reading it in sections, so just keep your finger there uh, as you're turning there. I, I want to point something out: uh, "Holy" or "holiness" uh, is a word that we church folks uh, tend to toss around quite a bit. Uh, we read in the Old Testament about God's holiness. Uh, we read about the tabernacle and the holy of holies and the temple, all of those things that we recognize from Sunday school or, or wherever we may have picked up on those. Maybe you even think about the burning bush. That's when I when I hear holy, I think of Moses approaching the burnis, burning bush and the burning bush saying, take your sandals off for you are on holy ground. And so Moses had to do that. And so us church folks have this idea of holiness in our head, and, and it's told through these Bible stories. right? Maybe you're unchurched, though. And you think of the word holy, you may think of various holy sites around the world. For instance, if we went to India, uh, there are numerous holy sites. Uh, There are thousands upon thousands of holy sites. There's a new one every day uh, in Hinduism. So you may think of that. Or maybe uh, your relationship with the word holy is just a preceding word that you follow with another word. So like holy cow, holy moly, and a bunch of other stuff that I don't want to say from the pulpit because I like my job. Regardless, I think we can all admit a little bit to having a good understanding of holiness, but maybe not a good understanding of how that plays out in our lives as Christians. What does holiness practically look like? How do we walk in holiness? Well, I think the passage today that we're looking at uh, will clear the air on, on what how we view holiness and how we live it out. To catch you up to speed, we are doing a sermon series on being exiles, Uh, and what that means is that we are separate from the world, we are being sent out, Uh, we are not in our home, but we are also here, we are living here among the people to spread a message. God has sent us on that mission. So in this passage today, we're looking at uh, what Peter gives a definition uh, of what holiness looks looks like in the life of an exile. So, let's read verse 13, and then we'll uh, go through this passage together. Here's what it says. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter begins this passage with a reference to what we looked at last week. I I told the previous service, many of us who grow up in church, we hear this phrase, what's the therefore therefore. Uh, I know I get, ter- get tired of hearing it, but it's, it's important, right? What is that therefore at the very beginning of the passage, therefore? What is it talking about? What is Peter referencing? Well, he's referencing what we just studied last week, where he says the culmination of the Old Testament, the prophets, the law, the writings were all written for you, the church. So with that in mind, with what we know, with how Christ has been revealed to us, through the Old Testament, through the prophets, the law, and the writings. Buckle your seatbelts. Get ready. Be sober-minded. Be focused on the grace that God has given you. Why is he saying to be buckle your seatbelts? Let's continue to read on. Verse 14 says this. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy... You also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on Him who, as Father who judges impartially, according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Peter starts uh, this passage uh, asking us to be obedient children, and that he references an Old Testament passage Be holy for I am holy. And now this is a a passage with a little bit of weight to it. If we look back, we look back at the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, this phrase shows up quite a bit. Be holy, for I am holy. Be holy. And it always happens right after a law is given. So God is, is telling his people, the Israelites, be like me. So, if Peter's quoting the Old Testament, In the New Testament, that should give us a clue. And that clue is holiness hasn't changed. It hasn't changed. Israel's goal was to be almost like exiles in the land they were in. They were to spread the gospel. Not stop the gospel, but spread the name of Yahweh. Spread his dominion across the entire world. And they were to do that by being a holy and set-apart people through their character, through their actions, through their behavior, all of the things that God asked Israel to do were a simple mission, spread my name and be holy. Well, obviously, we know they didn't really match up to that standard. But the standard is still there. In fact, Peter, by quoting this, has a holistic view of what holiness is according to the Scriptures, And really, this is nothing new, even in the Israelites' time. Before that, Adam and Eve were given a command to take dominion over the earth, spreading Yahweh's name across the earth and the Israelites and then the nation of Israel and so on and so on and so on. And now we come to our time as believers, as exiles. We have the same mission, spread the name of the Lord mirror his character and honestly this is not anything new remember Jesus even says if you love me you will follow my commandments God's plan for his people has never changed because he never changes let's read on verse 18 says this knowing That you were ransomed from the feudal ways, inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God. God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. While we have the same mission as Israel, as ancient Israel, we have what ancient Israel, the law and the prophets, all pointed toward. We have Jesus. You and I can go beyond the futility of our own righteousness. You and I can move past what this world places worth upon, silver and gold. Brothers and sisters, we have Jesus. This fact that we have Jesus is reinforced through this incredible statement that Peter makes in verse 20. Read with, uh, with me again. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. God's plan for us was to be found in Christ, was made way before the world even began. God's plan for us to be found in Christ was made before the foundation of the world. The cross, the resurrection, the salvation of the church, all secure because God, before the foundation of the world, said so. Suddenly, being in exile doesn't really sound that bad. Imagine, just just think on that just for a second. That how fortunate we are to be in the time that we are. That all of the scriptures were written for us, as Peter has already said, for our benefit. That we can now dwell in a relationship with Christ. It makes everything else pretty small. That before the foundation of the world, God sent his son to save made his plan to save us. So we see in this passage how Peter has a holistic definition of holiness. That is a a definition of holiness that is from page one of the Bible to the last page of the Bible, taking everything into account. So how do we align ourselves to this God-given view? I think the first thing that we can do to be walking in holiness as believers, as exiles, is to walk in hope. To walk in hope. There is a lot to feel hopeless about. Uh, Perhaps you feel hopeless due to the political climate. Maybe you feel hopeless due to recent loss in your life, whether that's COVID-related or not. Or maybe you're one of the many who deal with the daily struggle of hopelessness due to mental health. No matter where you are in life, we can all find ourselves feeling hopeless about something. But there is good news. And the good news is that God knew how hopeless we would be. He knew that without Christ, we would put our hope elsewhere, which would lead to the very feeling of hopelessness we all live with. So, at the foundation of the world, God made a plan to make us a people of hope. In fact, Scripture makes it clear that God, not, despite suffering, gives us hope. Oftentimes, I think, Christians react to hopelessness one of two ways. One way they act is, and this is a little bit more rare, but they're very kind of hunky-dory about it. Oh, everybody's fine. You and I are friends. We're all good. Everything's going to be great. Meanwhile, there's suffering in the background that they don't want to admit to. And then we have the other side who says, well, this world's got nothing uh, for me. It's basically just going to hell in a handbasket and nothing's going right. So I'm just going to sit until Jesus comes back. There's no hope in this world unless, you know, until finally I hear the Trump sound. When I think the Christian life is really more in the middle, despite that suffering, knowing that that suffering is given by God, we still have hope. Knowing that loss, knowing that mental health, knowing that all of those things are a part of this world, but still having hope in who Jesus is. That's different. That's set apart. Because think about it. How does the world react to hopelessness? They despair. They say, wallow in it. In fact, if, in some circles, make that hopelessness your identity. Or self-medicate. Whatever you have to do to make yourself feel happy right now, do it. Pick your poison. And in the midst of that, we as believers have to say, yeah, this is tough. Yeah, life's clearly not fair. But my hope isn't found in anything here. As exiles, we should know that suffering isn't pointless. We have a hope that is future oriented in Christ's coming back, presently felt in Christ's work in our life, and previously secured at the foundation of the world. Therefore, we who have been made holy by Christ should be a people of hope. Not a hope based in some naive, strange view of the world, and not a hope that is temporary, but a living and secure hope that's eternal. A hope that died on cross for our sins, a hope that was raised from the dead, and a hope that is coming back for his bride. So we see that hope, walking in that hope, is a way that we can practically live out our holiness. The next thing that we can do is walk in obedience. I'll draw your attention back to what I said earlier about God's holiness and his plan for his people. Remember, the standard for holiness hasn't changed. The standard is to be holy as God is holy. This requires us to take some action. As believers, we are to imitate Christ. Christ even makes it clear that following his commandments is what believers do. As I quoted earlier, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Christians should strive to be holy through their obedience to God, and more often than not, this requires us to be extremely different from the culture that we live in. In a culture that accepts sin and even maybe even encourage it, we as exiles from that culture must strive to reject it. In a culture that encourages always to do what is best for you, we have to strive to hold one another's interests ahead of our own. Make no mistake, Christian. Our obedience to Christ will set us apart from this world. We who have been made holy must be obedient to the one who made us holy, in the first place. But notice how that works. This is—I grew up in a uh, a pastor's home. Right? My dad has been a minister for a pretty long time, uh, so we had you know the Ten Commandments hanging up, and we had the—I mean, if it's if it's tacky Christian, you—it was in my house. All right, the music too. All right, so. It was almost as if we created this culture around, if we weren't careful, earning holiness. If I do this, then I'll be holy. Or if I don't do this, then I'll be holy. And it's absolutely true that you should do the things that God asks you to do and not do the things that God asks you not to but don't get it confused. You will never do that in your own power. Our obedience stems only from the holiness that God gives us from the Holy Spirit, only from the power of the cross. There is nothing we can do to make ourselves more holy. Christ made you holy the day he came into your life. Finally, the last definition of what it means to walk in holiness is to walk in grace. I went to a very small college in the panhandle of Florida. Um, It is as scary as it is. If you've heard stories about the panhandle of Florida, they're all true, every single one of them. And unfortunately, probably half of them have my relatives in it. So, Anyways, went to the small Baptist College of Florida in the middle of the panhandle. And the first year, you had to live in your dorm, as many colleges require. Well, one of my friends completed his first year and was going to move into an apartment. He was going to have his own space. He was super excited. He also happened to inherit a a couch, one of those really nasty dorm couches that everybody got in college. Uh, But he wanted to take it with him because, you know, it was his couch. Unfortunately, he drove a Honda Civic So Honda Civics and moving couches don't mix. Uh, He had a friend across the hall who had a truck, and he said, hey, man, do you mind uh, if we load this up in your truck and we go and take it to my apartment? He was like, I don't mind, but I've got class in like five minutes, so here's the keys. Just take the truck, load up the couch, and go. He's like, well, that's awesome, man, thanks. So he did that, loaded the couch up, took it to his apartment, unloaded it, and thought, you know, this guy just gave me his keys to his truck, just handed him over. That's awesome, an awesome friend. I should really repay that. You know, I'll fill his gas tank up for him. You know, it's a great thing to do. So he does that. He's driving home, looks in the rear view mirror, and sees a lot of black smoke coming from the tailpipe. A lot. Kind of concerns him. Pulls over, calls his friend. He says, hey, man, has this ever happened? I mean, is this normal? He's like, no. That's never happened. I'm not really sure what's going on. They kind of continued to talk a, a little bit. And, and then there was an awkward pause on the phone. And the friend who owned the truck said, you filled it with diesel, right? Mistakes were made. <laughs> of course, those of us who know, uh, if you fill a, a diesel engine with regular old gasoline, you're going to cause some issues. And those issues are going to last, uh, well, they're going to cost a lot, right? Possibly even replacing an engine. So it's safe to say in in specific vehicles, the right fuel is required for it to run properly. Well, the same can be said of the Christian life. If improper fuel is used, damage can be done and it's going to cost you. Without grace, following Christ is a vain pursuit. The hope that we just talked about—the one—the hope that is a, a mark of one who is holy—is lost without grace. The obedience to the law of Christ is absolutely futile without the grace of God given to us through the cross. Not only things are not uh, are not—they're not possible. They're they're unsustainable. Think for a moment about the Christian life that isn't dependent upon grace. Our reason for obedience stems less and less from the gift that God has given us, and we begin to rely on our own ability to follow the law. Well, if if we read the Bible, it's pretty clear to see that no one can do that on their own. The nation of Israel tried for quite a few years, and it didn't work out. Our hope Will begin to be found in our worldly circumstances, rather than the fact that we are uh, and will be found in the grace that God has given us. And the thing about that hope, especially in, in Christian, uh, the Christian realm, <laughs> uh, we tend to put our hope on things that are good, but not ultimate. For instance, many of us. Uh, have in the past put our hope in our marriage it doesn't take long to realize that I'm going to fail that person and that person's going to fail me somebody's not going to meet up to expectations I can put my hope in my son and his behavior and his growing up in Christ but frankly he's like not even fully potty trained yet you know that's not going to work for me. I'm going to be disappointed, and I'm going to disappoint him. And then we can go even further. Maybe we put our hope in our church, in our ministry. It's so easy for a pastor to do that. This is the work of God. I can put my hope in this ministry, in my ability to do this ministry, in my achievements that say that I can do this ministry but very quickly we'll begin to realize that even people in the church don't meet our expectations very quickly we'll realize that when we fail at a minute, any aspect of ministry that it's disappointing outside of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ without grace Everything falls apart, Christian. It's the glue that keeps your life as an exile together. Your holiness is secure because of the grace that was given to you. This is what drives us to continue on during suffering. And it should be what drives us even to continue on during success. It's what gives us the fuel for obedience and the foundation by which we spread the good news others we are a people of grace so my question to you this morning since we have been given a gift of pure absolute grace and God has made us holy through the Holy Spirit and now we have that charge to walk in holiness how's your walk Do you live as a person of hope? Does the outside world see you as a person who lives in hope? Or are you complaining a whole lot? Are you a person that desires to be obedient to Christ because of the things that he's given you, the grace that he's given you? Or do you let certain things just fall by the wayside? And say, oh, grace will cover it. Finally, do you trust in the grace that God has given you daily? I think it would do all of us a great benefit to wake up every morning and thank God for the grace that he's given us. And is your obedience and your hope found in that grace, in that person, Jesus There's a lot of questions you may be asking. And I hope you are asking them. I hope you're going through your life and going, ah, I I really need to be more obedient here. I really need to trust in grace so much because I fail even myself. And man, I really need to live as a person that has hope, that shows the world that I have. Brothers and sisters, how's your walk? Let's pray.